0: The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Welcome, everybody. My name is Alan. So glad that you are here with us. Uh, This church, Mountain Park, started in 1987, and since its uh, launch since uh, this uh, time where God said we're going to do something here in Chandler, here in Ahwatukee. Uh There have been two uh, senior pastors here at this church, and uh, I have the uh, fortunate opportunity to be the second one. And the first uh, and founding pastor of this church is Robin Wood, and he is here today. Robin, you in the room somewhere? You here? There he is, right back there. Welcome, sir. Robin and his family, uh, they're they're really responsible for this mess, mostly. Uh, They courageously started this church and was a a pastor here for 17 years. And so, again, welcome. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Um, I also want to welcome any of you who are guests or visiting with us. Uh, It was part of our baptism celebration. There's 27 people who are going to be baptized this morning. Yeah. Very, very excited about that. Uh, we are in a series, a year-long series, and we're continuing that series today as we celebrate baptisms. A year-long series called 2012 A.D., the year of our Lord. We're spending the whole year talking about what it looks like, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Not just to learn information about Jesus, but to imagine being one of the twelve. Imagining putting sandals on and spending time with hanging out with Jesus. If this really is a relationship, then like, like all real relationship, it'll, it'll go through stages. And so that's what we're doing this year. Uh, If you have your binder there are different tabs there and we're going through different stages uh, throughout the journey. We're on this third stage right now and it's called wonder. And what we're doing is we're looking at the supernatural elements of Jesus and the supernatural stories. He's not just fascinating and interesting and loving and compassionate but there's this supernatural piece that is part of having a relationship with Jesus. And uh, throughout the the, this piece we're looking at the four different types of miracles that we find in the gospel and this morning we're looking at the, uh, the type of miracle that Jesus performed three times he performed a resurrection from the dead and so this is this idea of something coming back to life so, for example, in terms of our current culture, this might represent uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, if you're at all interested in hockey, they're coming back to life in their series against Philadelphia, and they are going to win that. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and that is not, however, the case for the Chicago Blackhawks. They have no chance. They are going down. Okay. Yes. Thus saith the Lord. Okay. Yes, yes. It didn't happen last night, but it will happen uh, soon. Right. Okay. Hey, would you uh, pray with me as we launch uh, into this? Father, we are thankful that we get to be here. We are thankful that 25 years ago, uh, you put in the hearts of uh, people here in this community to say, we want to plant a church there. We want something to happen there in Aotuki. And so, um, God, we are thankful for what you're doing uh, in the lives of persons here in this room, and we are thankful for the 27 who are being baptized this morning, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts through this whole experience, that we would engage with the resurrection of your son Jesus, that we would engage with the miracle of his resurrecting Lazarus from the dead, that we would encounter you here today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This story of Lazarus being risen from the grave is only found in one of the Gospels. There's four um, uh, authorized biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's only found in the book of John, John chapter 11. That's where we're spending our time this morning. Uh, And uh, this uh, could be referred to as the miracle to end all miracles because we find out in John chapter 12 that this was the last miracle that Jesus performed. And so what happened is that it stirred up so much turmoil that this rolled into Passion Week and all that happened leading up to Easter and Jesus' death on the cross. This was, uh, many understand this to be the last miracle that he had performed. And uh, the turmoil, the unrest was actually happening a little bit even prior to this story. So I want to begin actually by looking at a few verses in John chapter 10. Backing up to John chapter 10 verse 31. John writes this about what was happening there. Again the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? So he's talking about the miracles that he's already doing. Sometimes the miracles don't stir up wonder in people, which is what we would hope, which is kind of a natural response that you would expect out of a miracle from Jesus. Sometimes they actually stir up animosity, and we see this consistently uh, throughout the stories. So uh, what happens is Jesus and and his disciples end up escaping Uh, Jerusalem, they escape with their lives and they end up about 25 miles east of Jerusalem and they're kind of hiding out, uh, getting a little bit of space from all the turmoil, all the unrest in Jerusalem when they find out that one of Jesus' dear close friends, Lazarus, is dying. There's a messenger that is sent from that very area that uh, sent to Jesus and and told him that Lazarus is dying. Here's where we pick up the story in chapter 11 and I'm going to begin here in verse 7. Then he, Jesus, said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea, in other words, Jerusalem. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there. In other words, um, you've got to be kidding, Jesus. You've got to be kidding. I mean, remember when we were there, it was just a little ways back, and, and the stones, remember that whole... You know, I mean, let's try to avoid that. If there's any way we could avoid that, I would be game. That would be awesome. And uh, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Here's where the disciples go. Uh what exactly does that have to do with the stones? Remember? Remember the stones. That's the part I'm trying to avoid. And, and then Jesus says to them, Jesus says that, that Lazarus has fallen asleep. There in uh, verse 11. Verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. In other words, no stones. We don't have to go there. There's kind of a theme here from the perspective of the, the disciples saying, let's not go to Jerusalem. Bad pain, Ow. And Jesus is saying, courageously, we're going. He has to make it real clear for the disciples in verse 14. Okay, let me me explain this clearly for you. Lazarus is dead. The messengers came to tell Jesus that Lazarus was dying, but Jesus knew that by the time the messengers had left Jerusalem, that, that Lazarus had already died. And so after a few days... They end up making the, the, it's 25 miles by, you know, walking. And so it was fairly, you know, it would have taken, a, it would have been a day trip by the time they actually got there. And, um, I mean, the disciples are scared. And then the first person that they encounter is Lazarus' sister, Martha. And that's where we pick up the story here in verse Verse uh, 23. And here's where we are launching into the section of this story that is is the famous words of Jesus here in the story of Lazarus. John writes, verse 23, Jesus said to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, what's the relevance of this story? What's the relevance of the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and saying, I am the resurrection and the life? Uh, Lazarus didn't stay alive. He, like the other three people that Jesus raised from the dead, they all eventually Uh, died. They all eventually, I mean, they did not remain alive forever. They eventually ended up dying. What's the purpose of these these temporary resurrections that Jesus performs? I mean, we see other kinds of miracles. We've seen them throughout the past 2,000 years. We've seen nature miracles, and it's faith that gets to decide if those really are miracles or not. But many of you have seen miracles. We've seen healing miracles. But we don't see many resurrection stories. I'm not aware of, of any actual resurrection stories. There's some televangelists who, who believe that this is going to be part of their journey, and I believe they have earnest faith that says they believe in God enough that this is going to happen as a part of their ministry. It's going to happen in their lifetime. But that just doesn't seem to be the way Jesus is working anymore in the past 2,000 years. Why did he do this? Obviously, his own resurrection was a transforming part of the story, but why did he resurrect three people from the dead? What's the relevance of the story of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. What's the relevance of this story? I think that many of us here at least in some parts of our lives are dead men walking, dead women walking. Jesus says Lazarus has fallen asleep and I think some of us are sleeping through some parts of our lives a guy named uh, Charles Garfield tells a story about meeting uh, a, a toll booth operator in San Francisco. He's uh, working the toll booth at the San Francisco Bay Bridge. And he regularly drives by this guy and sees he's just totally different. Every time he goes by, uh, this guy has music blaring in his little booth and he's dancing. <laughs> he's dancing every time and he drives by and he just is more and more intrigued by this guy who is dancing every time in his booth and yeah and he's saying you know he's what's your story and in the small little pockets of time that he has while people are behind him and that little quick little interaction he gets to know more and more of the story ends up having lunch with this guy later on and, and the guy says I want to be a dancer one day I want to be a dancer. This isn't, the, this isn't my whole life. I want to be a dancer. And he says he's thankful for his, his employees because they're paying for his training. Because every day, he's doing the whole thing. He's, they're, they're paying for his training. And he says that in comparison to the other toll booths, he says he, he's just, he just absolutely stands out. And he says, you know, you know what the other toll booths look like to me, he says? They look like vertical coffins. He says, because every morning I see live people walking into those toll booths, they're live when they go in there, I see it, but for eight hours they're dead, their hearts, their brains are dead, and then afterwards they walk out of the toll booth and then they're alive again. Does it sound like anybody else in the room, maybe? The guy says that, uh, he, says, he says, I don't understand how anyone could think my job is boring, I have... Uh, a corner office. I have uh, glass all around my office. I, I get to look at the Golden Gate Bridge every day in a city that people all around the world want to come and visit. How could my job be anything but great? So the question is are you dead or alive? Are you dead or alive? Now I know I have moments where I'm one or the other. I have days where I'm one or the other, but my hope in life is that I choose life, is that I choose more alive days and live moments than dead moments. I don't think it's an absolute 100% zero. It's kind of in this day, this day is this going to be an alive day or is this going to be a dead day? Just just a few tiny little examples. It's it's the reason we got a dog. A couple years ago, I told you the story about why we got a dog and that whole dog journey. Dogs are expensive. They're smelly. They make vacations very complicated. But for two of our three children, the greatest day of their life was the day we got that dog. They admit, they say that was the most memorable, greatest day. They remember details about that day and that story and the whole thing. I'm not saying Jesus wants you to get a dog. Please don't hear that. I'm just saying live life. Live life. Change your hairdo. I mean, it's, it's one of the things I'm, I'm jealous of for people who get to change their hairdo. i got nothing up here. i got the same hairdo that I've had for 20 years. And it, it's kind of get by, but it's really not interesting. I get that. And it's just losing one at a time and the whole thing. I wish that I could look back and, and notice. I could look at a photograph yesterday, and I wouldn't be able to tell it different from, something from a photograph 10 years ago. I'm jealous of those of you who get to do radical things and go, wow. Now, this, the, for instance... I know this shirt is a little bit ridiculous, I get that, I get that. And I know I am no fashion style guy whatsoever, but the whole idea of having asymmetrical patterns that are kind of bold on a shirt, that are kind of thrown, you know, all over a shirt, whatever, I get it that that's going to look weird at some point. And I don't care. I actually want to look back at 2012 and have my grandkids say, I can't believe you used to wear that shirt, Dad. I'm okay with that. I want to live life. If our lives are just routine, if they are in cruise control, if if we are just kind of floating through life, we are dying. What are you going after in life? What are you going after? after? I mean, what wakes you up in the morning and says, I get to take a bite out of this piece today? What are you going after in life? And whatever that thing is, whether it is an event, a sport, taking care of your body, whatever the thing is, why is that the thing you've chosen to go after? What is it that you're going after, and why are you going after that? And does that thing have any impact on the kingdom of God coming to this earth? are you alive or dead? We're celebrating baptism this morning and I think that baptism is, is all about that picture of going from death to life. Paul talks about this very clearly. He says in the book of Romans that, uh, that uh, our sins, our imperfections, our insecurities, our addictions, our, our brokenness, they are killing us. They kill our relationships. They kill our self-esteem. They kill our our intimacy with God and therefore has impact in our our eternity and how all this will look and whether we are going to spend time with Him or not. They're killing us. Paul says that the wages of sin, in other words, the result, what we get out of our sin is death. And then in chapter 6, He compares the whole process of baptism as a symbol of moving from death to life. That when we go under the water, we are identifying with the death of Christ. And Paul says that we become dead to sin. We become dead to sin. It no longer has control over us. We identify with Christ in his death, and when we come up out of the water, we identify with the resurrection. We are alive in Christ. This whole picture of baptism is a picture moving from death to life. It is an outward symbol of an inward change from death to life. And each person, each of the 27 who are being baptized today, they all have a unique story. And it's a different story. There's a little girl who's being baptized in the second celebration today who's four years old. Four years old. Now, we talked with the parents of this little girl because it's very uncommon for a four-year-old to have an understanding of what Christ has done for her and through the whole process. It's very important for us to make sure that we're not just doing it because it looks interesting, but that somebody understands what's going on. And so this is a process we make with families, and we walk this out a little bit because this four-year-old really hasn't experienced a whole lot of life yet. She hasn't had her heart broken by one of the mature kids from first grade, you know. She hasn't experienced all that, but we've talked with the parents and the parents have an understanding uh, and parents know her more than we do that she is alive in Christ. She understands who Jesus is. And there are other people who have been followers of Christ for a long time. They just have never been baptized and so they're going to celebrate with us in baptism today. There are a number of different stories, but the common thread through all of that is that these are people who have some understanding their own understanding that they were dead, and they are alive in Christ. they're dead to sin and alive in Christ. That's what the baptism symbol is all about. Now the story that we're looking at in John chapter 11, it's the story of a physical resurrection, of a bodily resurrection of a person. I want to go back to the story. And in verse uh, 32 of chapter 11, Jesus is now talking to Mary, the other sister of Lazarus. And Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's almost this accusatory tone from Mary And I think some of us can relate to that accusatory tone in terms of, Jesus, how could you have let that happen? If you had done something different, I wouldn't have to be going through this. I wouldn't have to be experiencing this. And then Jesus, or then the story continues. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. And it's one of the more miraculous verses that the creator of the universe, the creator of everything, emotionally connects with us. Jesus wept. It's a fascinating verse, though, and one must ask, what's he he weeping for? What is he weeping about He can't be weeping about missing his friend Lazarus because he knows what's going to happen. He can't be weeping about about what all the people who've gathered there at Lazarus' home are going to miss because they know there's going to be a, he knows there's going to be a major party in five minutes. He's not weeping about that. I think he's weeping about the reality of loss, the reality of death. That there is an enemy, the third character in the whole shebang overall story. There's God, there's us, and the whole story is about us being reconciled with God. And that third character is an enemy who shows up right in the very beginning of Genesis who tries to sabotage this whole thing. That enemy brings death and darkness and hurt and pain into this world. And Jesus is not a fan of that. In this story it says... That Jesus was deeply moved here in the verses that I just read. Jesus was deeply moved. And most commentaries that I look at on this say that that phrase, deeply moved, is way too soft. Way too soft. That really what Jesus, what's meant here and the intent of this is that Jesus was angered. Angered at what was going on. Jesus is angry at the reality of death. And that anger leads him to compassion, and Jesus wept. A gentleman that I went to seminary with, actually roomed with him, I was roommates with, a guy named Norberto Curley. This is a picture, if we have it available, this is a picture of his family, his wife and their two kids. And uh, they have been missionaries in Paraguay for the last ten years, Um, he did a few other things after we graduated, but then he went on to to, uh, Paraguay, which is his home area. And uh, this is a family that loves Jesus passionately. Uh, My wife and I went to their wedding, and uh, my wife was just reminding me uh, of how extraordinary Julie in particular was at their wedding, that they had worship songs at their wedding, and, and in a wedding gown, she had her arms raised fully to the sky. And uh, my wife remembers, uh, was deeply moved by, by a bride who did this as part of her wedding. Brides don't do that. Brides don't lift their arms and worship to Jesus typically at a wedding. And Julie was just was all out, all out, all um, out revealing her love for Jesus. I got an absolutely atrocious um, email this week that this family, friends of ours, were in a car accident in Paraguay. And Julie and uh, their six-year-old boy, Timmy, uh, died in the car crash this week. On Wednesday of this week, uh, Norberto and their one-year-old adopted uh, little girl uh, survived. They were in the hospital for a little bit. But they survived. But this is one of those situations where you just, Jesus, how could you let that happen? If you had been there, this may not have happened. Julie uh, was an amazing uh, follower of Christ. I mean, she understood the concept, love your enemies, uh, more than uh, anybody I've ever known. She, uh, there's a story that I actually didn't know about uh, until this week, kind of learning a little bit more about what's been happening recently with them, but uh, there was some robbers that came to their house when Julie and one of her kids were there alone at home, and while a robber was tying up her feet, physically tying up her feet as part of that awful scenario, she was verbally uh, praying for him out loud, not just under her breath, verbally praying out loud in his language, uh, praying that he would get a job that God would take care of this man so that he wouldn't have to do this anymore. I mean, that's the kind of person that she is. And these are the kind of moments where you have to cling to the words of Jesus who says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he, she, dies. We have to cling to those verses in experiences like that and cling to the promise that is a part of this story in terms of what, what her eternity looks like and how she's being in, in the arms of the Father. Now, this, is a, this story is a tragedy on so many levels. I know uh, none of you here, few of you here in the room may be connected to this story personally, but there are versions of that story, tragedies like that in all of our lives. But there's a tragedy that this story has reminded me of with regard to, to this room, all of us, myself included, is that there are moments... Where we are more dead than Julie is, that she is alive, and we are the ones who are walking dead. That we, there are times in our lives when we are just just making it through, we are dead at work. It's just a paycheck. We're just kind of getting through. We are in our, our vertical coffins not thinking about what we're doing or who we're doing this with or what God may want to be doing through, this, through these hours of the day. There are times where we are dead in our, in our spiritual experience, in our church experience. And maybe we're frustrated with this little piece of church and we're leaning kind of more towards uh, uh, um, complaining maybe than contributing in terms of what's happening and frustrated with how things are going or whatever and If anything becomes routine and boring and meaningless, then it's dead. It's dead. Your spiritual journey, if if reading in the morning, your quiet time, if that has no meaning for you, it's just kind of checking off a box, it's dying. Some of us are are dead and are at home. That we have no energy left once we get home for these most important relationships of our life. We just have nothing left. Now I'm not saying that to heap any guilt on you. Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. That's counterproductive. That's not what we're what I'm trying to do here. What I'm trying to do here is stir up a reminder for you that Jesus has come to give us life. In John chapter ten, he says, "I've come that you may have life and have it to the full." That's what Jesus came here to offer us. Are you dead or alive? Jesus says to the gathering there, he says, go ahead and remove that stone. Move that stone out of the way. And then Jesus stares into the darkness of the cave and he says, Lazarus, John says, he says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Could you imagine the tension in that moment? Just, just, I mean, nobody is... Moving, nobody is making a sound. All eyes are fixed on the darkness of the cave. And people could it be? Is it possible that this Jesus, the one we're getting to know, the one we're hanging out with, actually has that kind of power? Is it possible that he can move from death to life? Is it possible? And and they look and did I see something move? Am I just hoping that something moved or did something actually move? And then John tells the story that the dead man came out. The dead man walks out. There's a movement from death to life. And that's how I want to close with you here today. I want to give you an opportunity to come forth. And imagine Jesus saying those words to you with regard to an area of deadness in your life where Jesus would be able to have the miraculous power to speak into that and say, come forth, move from death to life. As we do that, I want to I invite you to stand. Would you stand just for the next few moments? If you are being baptized, if you are one of the Uh, folks who are being baptized in this celebration would you just slip on out while people are standing slip on out and go to the back and get ready we will celebrate with you in just a moment but for the rest of you I want to give you an opportunity to come forth to come forth and just kind of gather up here we're going to do a a quick little prayer up here in the front and invite Jesus to move us from death to life Lazarus was 100% dead none of us here in this room are 100% dead but some of us may be 10% dead or 3% dead or 75% dead. And so while we are in a place of prayer, I just want to invite any of you who want to, to come forth, who want to imagine the voice of Jesus looking into your cave and just saying, your name, come forth. It's not the words of of, of Alan here this morning. May you hear miraculously the voice of Jesus here today. You can stay where you are if you like, absolutely, but I want to give you the opportunity, the invitation to come forth. Would you just come? Come up to the front. Anyone who wants to move in any area of your life from death to life, and we're going to pray for you here before we celebrate our baptisms. Come forth. Mike. Sarah, Ted, Diane, come forth. Just come gathering around here. Let's experience a miracle here today because Jesus isn't finished moving us from death to life. Come forth. Everyone in the room, would you just bow your heads with us and let's pray together. Father, you know every heart, every story represented by souls that have gathered up here at the front. Some, perhaps in this moment, are are, are wanting to experience the movement from death to life in in a way that they never have before. They've never experienced anything like that. It is a complete transformation. It's all new. God, I pray that you'd meet those folks exactly where they are. Father, for some, this is a moment of salvation. This is a moment of first coming to you and saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus. The way I've been working is not working out. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And I know, Lord, that there are other, others here who have an area of their life, maybe it's that 10%, 20% zone, that is dead. And, and they want to bring life to that. They want your resurrection to come into that area of their life. Maybe it's an area that has a big, bold lock and key on it. Would you come here this morning and just smash that lock open, break it open, so that so that your Holy Spirit can have access to every part of their lives? Come in the name of Jesus. We pray that you would bring life. You would bring healing, move these parts of of their lives from death to life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. May each person right now just see in that cave of their lives movement. Come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. I encourage you to, to, to talk about whatever's going on. You're in a D group, talk about whatever's going on, what's going on in your heart. Share it with other people. We get stronger when we do that stuff. Would you remain standing? And uh, we're gonna celebrate with baptisms now as folks are heading back to their uh, chairs. We're gonna celebrate with a number of people who are saying publicly before all of, all of us that they're moving from death to life as they come up out of the water. Let's celebrate together.